The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples returned once more to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple area, the chief priests, scribes, and the elders approached him and said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I shall ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism of heavenly or of human origin? Answer me. They discussed this among themselves and said, If we say of heavenly origin, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say of human origin? They feared the crowd, for they all thought John really was a prophet. So they said to Jesus in reply, We do not know. Then Jesus said to them, Neither shall I tell you by what authority I do these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Today is the Saturday before Trinity Sunday. And for most members of the church, that's really not a big deal. We don't celebrate that with particular festivity, unless you're me. Because 17 years ago, on the Saturday before Trinity Sunday, I was ordained to the priesthood in the Roman Catholic Church. And it is an absolute delight to be able to celebrate the anniversary of that day here with all of you today. All of that being said, all of that being said, we have a remarkable set of readings that the church places before us today. And as we noted yesterday, we are coming to the end in our cycle of daily masses of our regular engagement with the Gospel of St. Mark. One more week. And so next Saturday will be the last day we are reading on our weekdays from St. Mark's Gospel, the week after we begin reading from St. Matthew's Gospel. And because when we read through the Gospels during the weekdays of ordinary time, what we're really engaging are the pub details of the public ministry of Jesus, the events from his baptism to just before the Last Supper. So if we do the math, if we only have a week left, where must we be? We must be in Holy Week. And so we have the echo of Holy Week in our readings today and in the coming week. These are the encounters that Jesus has in Jerusalem on those last days before he stretches out his arm on the cross. And so we should expect there to be a certain sharpness a certain cutting directness in a number of the encounters because these are the final words that carry us to the great mysteries. 
That's what we have before us today in our readings. But that cutness is supplemented by a certain sweetness. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. Do you believe that? It's an interesting statement. We repeated it how many times as the sung response to, uh, to our psalm, did we not? Yet it's easy to have those words pass over our lips without really engaging what it is we're saying. It's so easy just to repeat things. And yet that's a statement that shouldn't be merely repeated because we are making a claim about ourselves, that our hearts find and receive a certain joyfulness in the way of living that the Lord places before us. This is what underlies both our first reading and our gospel reading today. Our first reading from the concluding section of the book of Sirach speaks of that one who values the wisdom of God greatly and dedicates himself to seeking it to the point of feeling a certain torment in the search. What an odd statement. If it gives joy to the heart, why torment? So let's just pause right there for a moment. Has anybody here ever been really thirsty? Really hungry? And I'm not talking about it's the middle of the day and I feel like a snack. But that experience of the back of your throat is burning. But there's nothing to drink nearby. That for whatever reason, whether it's bad planning, whether it's a certain material poverty, your stomach has been empty for a while. And you need to eat. And we speak of hunger pangs, don't we? We speak of a depth, a burning character to thirst, a certain pain. And so the one whose throat is burning in that way seeks after water which will take the thirst away. But there's a certain torment in the seeking. It's the pain of need. It's the pain of lack. It's the pain of desire. When I am exceedingly hungry to the point that I'm going weak, even as I am moving toward having something to eat, there's a certain painfulness in the movement. This is the torment that is implied in the first reading. But note what kind of a torment that is. Like a deep and painful thirst, like a hunger which denotes a certain physical emptiness about me, the author of the first reading is saying, that's my heart. That's me. That's my mind. That's my spirit. Without your wisdom, Lord. I 
am hungry and thirsty like that to know how to live rightly. How many of us could honestly say that? On a good day, I might say, I'd like to live rightly. But to feel that kind of a deep spiritual longing, that kind of a deep spiritual hunger that drives me to seek because this, I realize, is what I need to sustain me. That's the torment. It's the torment of not having, but needing and knowing. And so in that deep, even painful sense of need, there's the movement toward that one and only thing that can satisfy. And so the author of the book of Sirach says, oh, and when I found your wisdom, it gave me joy. A joy that didn't just take the torment away, but that refreshed me made me new and abide it within me, greater than the splash of cold water on the back of a burning throat. There's first the experience of relief because I know now I am not so in need anymore. But then there's now the joy of having, of savoring, of keeping, of abiding. Because the goal of the person who's thirsty is not merely to take a drink. It's not merely to have a sip. It is then always to make sure I've got the cold water nearby so that I can regularly drink and not be thirsty in that way again. What a remarkable description of the spiritual life. And the meaning of that statement, the precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. Because there is an intrinsic restlessness about the human heart. We don't speak about it regularly, but it's the restlessness that comes with not knowing how to live. It's the restlessness that comes with not knowing what to do, how to act, what to think, what to say, what to believe. And let's be honest. We live in a world that is afflicted by that terrible confusion. And like so many, when the need is great, but we don't know how to satisfy it, what does our world do? Maybe this will work. Maybe this idea. Maybe this is the way to go. And somebody acts as if they found fulfillment, and what do we do culturally? We begin imitating as if that will be the way toward happiness for me as well. And yet it never is. It never is. Because the only one who can answer that longing in the heart of man, what do I do with myself? How do I know how to live in a way that is right? in a way that is true, in a way that is good. The only one who can answer that question is the one who gave me life in the first place. That's the beautiful truth sitting in that first reading. 
you've given me life, and I have been desperate to find out how to live it. I have been desperate to find out nowhere to know where to go with it. And now I know. And as soon as I encountered your wisdom, and in encountering your wisdom surrendered to it, in a short time, I learned much about living. Most of us, again, if we're honest about ourselves and with ourselves, can say, in a very short time, I learned how to mess up my life. In a very short time, I learned very quickly how to get it terribly wrong. And we look at the world around us, and isn't that what we see? In a very short time, if I'm buying into false wisdom, things go off the rails, and I can't fix them. And so note the statement. The searching might take a while, but as I find it, and as I surrender to it, because the point of seeking wisdom is not simply to know things, it's to live. It's the knowledge of right living. And so note, as I begin to discover your wisdom, as I begin to let that direct me more quickly than I ever did before, I've moved forward, covering a greater distance. There's a new depth and a new vigor to my living because it's not confused and I'm not working against myself anymore. But then note, it's not enough to seek wisdom and it's not enough to find wisdom. One has to live according to wisdom. This is what cost Charles Luanga and his companions their lives. They knew the truth of the gospel they understood the truth of the gospel, and they knew that it made a claim on them for how they should live. And it ran directly against the way of living that the powerful around them had. They didn't die because they professed faith in Jesus. They died because they lived according to the demands that Jesus placed on them. And so that's a marvelous segue to what we have in our gospel reading, which again takes place just a few days before the Lord witnesses with his life to his faithfulness to his Father and his love for us. And note, in giving his life on the cross, Jesus doesn't just say, I have a beautiful teaching for you. He says, I live it. And my living is the wisdom that you must surrender to. And what, we, what do we have before that happens? This interchange with the authorities who come up to him and they essentially say that statement that all too many of us know too well. Who are you to speak to me like that? Who are you to judge me? 
Who are you to do these things? What makes you better than me? We hear these statements a lot too, don't we? We say them ourselves all too frequently, if not aloud. Inside the heart, we regularly find ourselves saying things like that. And just who are you again? And so here we have the irony of the religious authorities coming to God-made flesh saying, and who are you? And note Jesus' response. He doesn't respond with thunder. He doesn't show them his transfigured glory. Note the humility and the patience of Jesus here. He looks at them and he says, let me show you who you are, and then we'll talk about me. That's the point of the question. Because Jesus understands more often than not, when we make that statement, who are you, we've already decided you're nobody. I've already decided I don't need to listen to you the minute I ask that question. Because the minute you show me real authority, what am I going to do? I'm going to question that authority. In other words, I will simply keep multiplying reasons not to obey and not to respond. In other words, this question has nothing to do with the truth. This question has, let me find a reason I don't have to listen to you. And Jesus isn't going to play that game. Rather, he's going to put that game right in front of their eyes. And so he says, all right, you guys are the experts in authority. You guys are the ones who know how to judge for yourself and decide for yourself. You guys are the ones who want to be authentic. All these words that we use. All these words that we use. And so Jesus says, let's talk about John the Baptist. He came and spoke with authority too. What was his authority? And what do we hear? They don't talk to Jesus anymore. They start talking among themselves because now they have to agree on an answer. This is not about responding to Jesus. It's not even about responding to God. It's about responding to getting my way. So they speak to one another. If we say that he came from God, the next question is then why didn't we respond? And note, the issue isn't even, did he come from God or not? It's, if we say that, we're going to be called out for not responding. But if we say he didn't come from God and that's why we didn't respond, we'll be called out because others recognize that he was from God and we're afraid of them. Notice none of this has anything to do with the truth. None of this has anything to do with what does God want of me. It has everything to do with my desire to be left alone, with my desire to decide for myself, 
choose for myself, think for myself, and live the way I want to live. And so Jesus looked at them. And this is the way you're going to live. You don't want to risk responding to God, but you're also afraid of standing in the truth of that refusal. You don't want to reject his authority, but you don't want to accept it either. That's how you're going to be? Well, then I've got nothing to say to you. I'm not going to tell you about my authority because you're not interested in it. All you're interested in is locking yourself in your empty little heart by yourself and being left joylessly alone. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. But to do that, they have to be accepted. They have to be followed. Note the key. Note the key. And again, we see it's not enough to see the miracles of Jesus. It's not enough to know the teaching of Jesus. It's not enough to meet Jesus. These guys met Jesus and spoke to him too. But they met him and spoke to him in a way that closed themselves off because they weren't interested in responding, in obeying, and in letting him show them how to live rightly. And it's easy to throw stones at these guys. It's easy to stand here and speak negatively of that. But the simple reality is that tendency lives in all of our hearts. It's been in our hearts since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And it's one of those realities we have to struggle with which is why it is so wonderful we have that contrasting example of the joy of surrender to the will of God, that I will truly be happy when I let him lead me. Because if I'm honest, when I lead myself, I'm lost all the time. And how wonderful it is that we can do that here in his presence where we can come forward and stretch out our hands and receive him who is the very wisdom of God made flesh for the life of the world. And now we see something wonderful. What the author of Sirach never could quite directly see. Wisdom, wonderful as it is, in its absolute fullness as a person whose name is Jesus Christ. He is our way of living. He is our rule of living. And what a beautiful summary of what Christian life is. Live Jesus. Amen.